0: Welcome, everyone. I'm very pleased to be here tonight to host our second Chat 10 Looks 3 live from Llewellyn Hall at the Australian National University. For those who do not know me, I'm Brian Schmidt, the Vice Chancellor of said institution. And I would like to start by acknowledging the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet this evening pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. It is indeed great to have Lee and Animal back here to our campus tonight, one year to the day from their first appearance. And what a year it has been for Chat 10 Looks 3. Last year, for example, I noted that what we would call within the university an unhealthy obsession for Helen Garner by Lee and Annabelle, Uh, I guess perhaps a little bit unexpected, at least by me, was the partial transference of this obsession to Shane Warren by Lee. (laughs) Many of you are probably, I cannot believe you would not be aware that both Annabelle and Lee have released new books this year. Both nonfiction, for Annabelle, a cookbook for imperfect hosts, and for Lee, the more serious Any Ordinary Day. And while we await for their contemplated first forays into nonfiction that were uh, alluded to earlier uh, in the year, I have learned later on in the series of podcasts that whatever forays they make into fiction are going to need to be chaste indeed if chat 10 looks 3 is uh, looks three is to survive, and that's because Annabelle has revealed to us that she cannot have a conversation with someone uh, once they have written a sex scene in a book she has read. <laughs> <laughs> so it rather does narrow the options. We did find out something a little creepy about co-creation of sex scenes may be okay, and I don't even want to think about that anymore. <laughs> Nonetheless, I do hear... Uh, I am looking forward to hear what makes this list of Lee and Annabelle's favorite books shows, movies and recipes the, uh, I guess, one of the things we get to hear in this last uh, installment of the year. I wonder if Tom Cruise's latest movie will make the cut. Annabelle seems to have a certain thing there. <laughs> and of course, Shane Warren's biography must get a look in." Uh, 2018 has, of course, had its up and ups and downs. But it has been a wonderful constant in 2018, apart from their ability to keep us amused, is Lee and Annabelle's friendship, which then transfers from themselves onto the audience at large. And it is truly a great pleasure to have them here tonight. So please join me in welcoming Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales for the Chat 10 Looksly Final Bumper Show for 2018.
1: Brian, thank you very much. It is a uh, it's a rich and untrammeled joy to be uh, among you uh, all this evening. It's uh, been a big year for the ANU as well, of course, Brian. And while Brian
2: has paid some attention to our year, we've, of course, also paid a little bit of attention to Brian's
1: year. Yeah. And, you just, know... I don't know, is it, is it too soon? But, like, just, sorry that the Ramsey Centre thing didn't work out. Like, it's just... <laughs> It seemed like such a sensible idea. And yeah. I just I felt we were looking forward to being sponsored perhaps by the Ramsey Centre to appear this yeah. evening. It was yeah, look, and we felt like the very yeah. least
2: we could do because ANU has been so generous to us yeah. is to try to come up with a way to help with that. So I don't think you need to say goodbye to the Ramsey Centre exactly. just yet. Because there are other Ramseys out there.
1: You but could other have other Ramseys. Um, I mean, uh, for instance, I mean, look, we're just spitballing here, but we thought maybe the Gordon Ramsay Centre um, for which cooking and swearing, cent- cooking and swearing, yeah, um, or even the Alan Ramsay Centre for, for journalism a, and
3: swearing, journalism and swearing, um, um, the Ramsay Street Centre for mid-range television writing. See, yeah. there so, many,
2: so there were so many. Don't get sad, Brian. Don't get sad, Brian. It's okay. We can, we can help more if you want to give us a call. It's completely fine.
1: Do call us if you need any further <laughs> uh,
3: injections of fresh new ideas about Ramsey's. Now, do you know the number one question people have asked me ahead of this show? How do you stay in shape?
1: <laughs>
2: 30 push-ups every day, as my friend Jane can attest this morning. She came out. We had a few drinks last night, Jane and I, and she came out this morning and I was doing push-ups and she went, Salzy, what are you doing? Miller, get out here. Look at what she's doing. (laughs) But just have nothing to say about that. Caused quite some consternation. Um, No, that is not what people have asked me. People have asked me, hey, is Annabelle Crabb going to do another reworking of the 12 Days of Christmas for your Canberra show?
1: And I... And the answer rep- to that. I replied is, to them, do you think I can stop her? The answer to that ad is yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I think it's worth noting too that whilst last year I wrote it on the plane on the way to Canberra and then I gave it to you in the dressing room and said, here's a thing I think we should do and you looked at me with eyes of cold fury because... The sales likes to be organised. This is a lady who we found out this year has a spreadsheet for her wardrobe. So um, you can imagine that that went down very nicely. And I recommend that to all of you because it saves a lot of
2: time and hassle in the morning. I mean... For example,
1: this outfit 's been locked in since July. It actually has <laughs> and the thing is that you actually locked in the red shoes before the red shoes became a thing
2: I know i 'm very happy know, with right? those shoes <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, now yeah, so've you 've done the song. Should I we have. get into it? <laughs> Shall we sing it? <laughs> look this is always look, this is just my special Christmas gift to Lee Sales, as you know, I loathe singing, and I do not sing in a terrible voice, but that is something that you're just going to have to suffer through uh, as we sing this together. Shall I just need to do forward? my
2: vocal warm-ups.
1: Brrr, brrr. Me, my, me, 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 me. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Unique New York. Unique <laughs> New York. <laughs> you good to go? All I'll right. be mouthing these words. So. Okay. Mm. All right, we're, go- we're going to uh, attack this a cappella because <laughs> nobody organised any music. All right, all right. <laughs>
3: <clears throat> okay. On the first day of Christmas, full of festive glee, Peter Dutton set an O pair free. <laughs> <laughs> On the second day of Christmas, he said, It's time for me. I've got my vote, plus, plus Michaela and Matthias, that's three. <laughs> On the third day, it all came unstuck quite horribly. ScoMo happy Happy clapping, Malcolm Malcolm to Manhattan, and a Frydenberg in Treasury. (laughs) On the fourth day of Christmas, the Senate did decree it's okay Okay to be white, wait, that might be 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 a bit of (laughs) right-wing accidental supremacy. (laughs) on the fifth day of christmas new zealand gave to me jacinda's baby why do we get fools she's so cool bugger all the rules can we all book flights immediately on the sixth day of christmas i turned on my tv Flipped to the cricket, sheer canary. Aussie bowler shock, oh no, what's he got, got, got in his jocks? Well, it looks a little sandpapery. <laughs> On the seventh day of Christmas, the Senate gave to me. Seven by-elections, two hands and affections. Will there be more? Latham's on the job, what a knob, put a couple of bobs on a parting of the ways before tea on the eighth day of Christmas the government gave to me.
1: And that was the best present ever, so thank you very much.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Cannot improve on that, so let's just move along.
1: <clears throat> on,
3: the on the ninth, the ninth day, day of Christmas, the Aussie polity, Aussie polity Groped a female, female journo, sued her when she said so Called her Sarah psycho, S-H-Y, S-H-Y and nympho they still Julie Hey, they're not so fast. She's been grasped, kicked kicked out on her ass. But But at least they broke the news politely. Before he was knifed, Malcolm Turnbull solemnly gave a direction. Check the complexion of workplace affection. If on inspection there's an erection, cease and desist. Keep it in, it in your, your pants. pants, don't advance that, that office romance Cause you, could you could end up like Barnaby
2: <laughs> On the eleventh day of Christmas,
3: ScoMo gave to me Religious freedoms to those who need them Gay Gay kid kid expelling, expelling. schools are compelling Till your advice that that people despise that Time for plan B Now in breaking news, tell the Jews They can get enthused by the prospect of a new embassy (laughs) On the twelfth day of Christmas, Skomo gave to me National conniptions about encryption Snag rolls with onions Doesn't matter where the onions go, it's all good Bang 'em down with strawberries and a breakfast meat pie Go, you sharkies Come now, let's be frank Julia Banks leaves with all our thanks all the other banks that charge us a fee. Oh, I'm glad God that's knows! Another year.
2: God knows, I hate to give you a compliment because your ego's already massively out of control. But you really are quite brilliant. That was unbelievably. Great.
1: Wow. <laughs> there's a square inch of unkissed ass right here. You, just, you wouldn't <laughs> mind, just like just about that. No. Yeah.
2: No, That's thank fine. you. That's fun too. Thanks, but no thanks.
1: So here we are, Canberra. Uh, just better we to be here this th- week than last week, isn't it? <laughs>
2: We always love to get together with the chatters because it's always such a warm, lovely room full of kind and generous people and it's great to be able to get to meet all of you in person.
1: That's right. And um, the uh, the generosity of the listenership of this podcast and extended, slightly um, obsessive-compulsive Facebook group is a very big and wonderful thing in our lives. And actually... um, Before we um, get too involved in sledging each other, I would like to uh, mention that a person from the Chat 10 Looks 3 Facebook group, who uh, I think is the current leaderboard champion of uh, target of kind behaviour in that group, is actually um, in the audience tonight. And um, those of you who know about Jackie Ann of the Cabbage Leaves <laughs> will be pleased to hear that she is, in fact,
3: right here tonight. Jackie Ann, come on I- up. I've got to-
1: Into this the spotlight. Is, yeah, I know. I'm getting her. I'm getting her. jackie Ann. <laughs> this is the first time I've met jackie Ann. Come over here.
3: Great,
4: Great.
1: So I'm just going to get jackie Ann to just tell me what happened when you went
4: to Maruya recently. Well, I was taken sick, taken to hospital by Ambo. Um, I was there alone. I live in a motorhome, so I was a long way from home and put the call out. Um, Why? What did you need? I, I needed a cabbage. <laughs> Why and did you, you need do. a cabbage, Jackie-Anne? Well, um, if anyone's ever had mastitis, uh, I have breast cancer, so it's kind of ten times worse than that, and I desperately needed a cabbage. <laughs> if you don't know, you put a cabbage on your boob and it... It it, it helps. (laughs) Um, And yeah, put the call out because I didn't know anyone. And within 23 minutes, I had a cabbage delivered to the hospital (laughs) with a bunch of flowers. And then the next morning, um, I got a real coffee, which, you know, if you spend any time in hospital, hospital food, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, then Kim took my washing home and, and did my washing. <laughs> and it just went on all week. I had visitors all week. I had green smoothies. I had people just coming out of the woodwork. It was just amazing. All, all chatters. All chatters. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and, like, within 23 minutes, I had a cabbage. <laughs> it's my 23-minute my cabbage.
2: <laughs> well, that's... We are very happy to hear that story. It made us both really
4: thrilled. And, and Kim it. is in the audience, I do believe. Really? One of the kind chatters. We were supposed to meet up beforehand, but... Are you, are you really here, Kim? Kim? Oh, she's up at the top. Oh, you're up there.
3: Oh!
2: <laughs> Kim, you're so awesome, thank you, because there's such a world of difference between thinking, oh, I could do that and then actually doing it.
4: It's really fantastic. It, it, it is all about kindness. It is just, you know, you, you're enveloped in this blanket of kindness with chatters. It's just incredible.
3: <laughs> thank you very much, Jackie Ann. Or cabbage. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to be
1: examined on stage, jackie Ann. <laughs> Having attended
2: church when I was younger, I feel like now we need to take up an offering. <laughs> it's got that vibe, doesn't it? It's getting it's getting quite... Testify! <laughs> um, now, as people might... No, we, every uh, Chat 10 show, donate a portion of proceeds to a charity of our choice that is something that's been on our mind or we often look for things that don't um, likely attract money because the cause is low profile. Um, But this year something has been on my mind and that's music education. Um, Yeah.
1: One of your more popular ideas.
2: (laughs) (laughs) evidently. (laughs) And how fitting also that we're in a a music venue for for this. Um, I was very, very lucky when I was growing up because I had a music teacher who didn't really care if I did exams or didn't, you know, she wasn't strict or fussed, but she made music really, really fun. And I reckon that's why I really love music and I'm sort of prepared to just have a sing even though I'm a complete hack because I just love it so much and she didn't care if I was listening to Stevie Wonder or Bach it was all music and it was all fantastic and I was very 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 lucky that I had a friend who had a mutual friend by the name of Richard Gill. Um, and I'm sure lots of people here would have heard of Richard Gill, who was, you know, the preeminent public music educator in Australia and just such an advocate for music in schools and also music, you know, at the highest levels in Australia. Um, And I met Richard, and I just got to asking him about my then five-year-old and said, you know, what's a good age, do you think, for music and whatnot? And we figured out Richard lived around the corner, and he said why don't you bring him, I have a handful of private students on a Saturday morning, just bring him around at 8.30 on Saturday morning and I'll, I'll have a look and I'll tell you if I think he's ready to learn music yet. And so I thought, oh God, wow, that's so nice of him. So we went around and Richard gave Daniel a lesson for um, half an hour and then he said to me, look, I think he's completely ready to go, just bring him back every Saturday. And I just thought, it's Richard Gill, like... <laughs> there's no way I can bring a five-year-old to have a music lesson with Richard Gill. Of course, then the three-year-old pipes up and goes, I want one too. <laughs> and so then I thought, well, this is just insane because this man, like, he's so much more qualified than teaching a five-year-old and a three-year-old beginning music. But that's where I had it wrong because somebody like Richard Gill, whether it's a three-year-old or whether it's, you know, the top pianist in Australia it was a sort of equal process and it was about the love of the music and imparting that and giving kids that in their um, lives and so I swear to God that that was the highlight of my week every week and I wrote this in a letter to Richard last Christmas that Saturday morning I just could not wait to get there and I would me and Richard's wife Maureen would play with whichever child wasn't having music and then I'd dip in and out of the lesson and it was an absolute thrill and pleasure to watch the way Richard taught which I think the child never really knew they were learning anything. They were just having fun. But if you knew anything about music, you could just see how jam-packed that period of time was for that child learning key, um, you know, that's the key foundations of music. Um, so I was so lucky and my boys were so lucky to have Richard Gill and they, the three-year-old would come to the door and go, Richard Gill, we're here. <laughs> um, as people might be aware, Richard died uh, a few months ago. And so, the charity that we're supporting tonight is Music Aviva in Schools, um, which does a lot for music education. They provide live music and music education in about 900 schools a year. Um, they go to remote places where kids don't get that sort of stuff a lot, so Mount Isa and Exmouth um, and Croker Island, places like that. Um, and they go to disadvantaged schools, schools with at-risk kids, um, schools for special needs kids. So they try Try to bring that sort of education and give that opportunity to everybody. Um, and so, we're going to make a donation from tonight in Richard's name to Music Evita in schools.
1: Here, here. But this is sort of the end-of-year event where we review the year in books and films and everything. And I had, uh, driving to uh, Canberra today, my habitual uh, anxiety response and inability to remember a single thing that I had, in fact, read or watched or consumed in any way this year, which is, <laughs> like, super, really, like, very handy. <laughs> But I know that you're organised because you've been spreadsheeting for weeks <laughs> slash months. That's right. Here's a list I prepared
2: earlier. Okay, you kick it off. Best fiction. Um. All right,
1: we're going to... So here's... There will be questions after a bit, okay? So we're gonna run through uh, some thoughts about the year uh, and then you can just (laughs) ask whatever that's gonna be more interesting than obviously hearing us um, (laughs) imperfectly try to recall anything that happened this year. Uh, Best fiction. See, I went into this thinking, I've read heaps of great fiction this year. And as I was working on my little list, I thought actually the non-fiction is harder for me to pick because I've read so many great non-fiction books this year. My final two for best fiction this year, uh, were Min Jin Lee, um, yeah. (laughs)
3: Pachinko.
1: Pachinko, yeah. Um, now, uh, just a book that I just didn't expect to read and come across and love. It is the tale of Korean expatriates in Japan. Um, struggling and um it is this sort of absolute huge family saga I'm not normally into that sort of stuff but this book was absolutely unscratchingly compelling and um I loved it and I nearly met Min Jin Lee when she was at the Sydney Writers Festival but I didn't because uh I saw her at a thing and I'm like oh, that's Min Jin Lee and I thought but I really need to go to the toilet so then I went to the toilet and then she was gone And so that was nearly a very great and magical encounter, but it didn't happen. Um, The other book that's my finalist is a book written by an Australian journalist who I don't think I've ever actually met in person, Trent Dalton. But um, I've always just been addicted to to his... essays and feature writing. He's like an incredibly perceptive and emotionally intelligent writer. And when I heard that he'd written a novel, I was a bit like, you know, it's just when people that you admire write a novel, you think, well, this could go either way. (laughs) Like, so if you wrote a novel, I'd be like, really? Okay. (laughs) Now, obviously, she's the most
3: bankable author in Australia right now. So obviously, you can write books. It's what I love Love about you that I feel like when I share my dreams with you, you just... You enable yeah, I me to fly. I'm just,
1: I'm, just, I'm just pre-trampling you a tiny bit so that when you ask me to read your draft of your novel... I mean, like, what do you do when that happens and you're like... Ooh, Can
2: I just uh, say, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that's just profoundly upsetting about this is that Annabelle Crabbe knows good and well that I have an idea for a novel in my head. Don't say that, because now all these publishers will ring you up. Saying, and oh. she's chosen in front of an audience yeah. of a
3: thousand people it's, to... Shit on my dreams. <laughs> She's, the working title is Fifty Shades of Sales. It's like a, <laughs> it's full of sex, basically. Well, at least it's an, at it's least a, you've made a, it
2: clear to me that
1: you don't like the use of the
3: word panties. I know. <laughs> That's how
1: I. Yeah, Look, um, we've already mocked Chris Yorman at this event enough, but like <laughs> he and Steve uh, Lewis. Oh, can you split not tell up. this story again? I know. Wow, you're so hardcore. Some people <laughs> like to hear funny stories a second time. I think Sometimes, it's about a fifth time, just
2: quietly. Because <laughs> Chris Yuleman, if you remember, was here last year and you told it. I'm just,
1: I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> well, we've, well, now we've offended each other, haven't we? So, <laughs> anyway... But this book, Boy Swallows Universe, I started reading it in that kind of like, is this going to work? And then was just completely overcome by the magic of this book. It's like an incredible original novel. It is even more compelling because it's semi-autobiographical and a lot of the experiences uh, of the young boy who's the um, central character in the book are experiences lifted directly from Trent's early life. the central character um, is growing up, his mother's in prison. Um, his mother's um, a drug addict and his stepfather is selling drugs. like it's a it's like hardcore, but suffused with such beauty and decency that it is a source of great inspiration about the extent to which um, love conquers. Everything from squalor to poverty to violence and um, it is just, it was a magical book and I loved reading it. So I think it's my pick okay. for the year.
2: Um, I should say as well that when we pick our favourites, they're not necessarily things that have been written this year, they're just things that we've got around to reading this
1: year. So That seems to be a red flag that yours is an old one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally got
3: around to some dickens, did we? <laughs> Apparently A Tale of Two Cities is a great book. It's awesome did somebody
2: say?
3: Um, okay, my,
2: I think, favourite... It's hard because there was two books that I absolutely loved this year. The first book I read this year, I think, is my favourite, which was uh, The Museum of Modern Love by Heather Rose, um, which is... It was last
1: year's Stella Prize winner. Last year's Stella yeah. Prize winner. So you were advised that the book was good <laughs> last year. Just, look, I shouldn't mock you because I read The Strays by Emily Bitto only... This year, no, last year, I think. And I was like, this book is incredible. (laughs) Why did no one tell me about this? I know. Except when it won the Booker in whatever year it was. Um,
2: It's about... um The exhibition that happened in New York where the performance artist Marina Abramovich did that thing where she sat at a table and a queue of people lined up and you could sit opposite her for a minute and eyeball her. And the novel is set around that artwork and people coming and going and there's some key characters who, for whatever reason, are drawn to come and sit opposite Marina Abramovich or watch her sitting opposite people. And it was just riveting and a really beautifully written book.
1: The other book that I absolutely love... What do you think your... um what do you think your performance art um, <laughs> shtick would be? would you just be like musical theater no, but that's not that's not what a do you Abramovich... think yours what do you think yours would be? Mine would just be throwing things at you <laughs> I don't know <laughs> well but that's like, what <laughs> she and Ule did
2: basically yeah it was their relationship played out you know in front of everybody, so it really did pretty much turn into them throwing things at each other and breaking up publicly on the Great Wall of China and I'd all like that.
1: to see you sitting uh, on a chair next to a table and people sitting opposite you and you just doing that thing with your glasses that you really want to do now that you've got glasses. Have you showed that thing? Yeah, it's, I love... Well,
2: this crowd hasn't seen it's it. It's one for the listeners. Unlike your Yuleman gag. Um, I <laughs> she
1: She got glasses earlier this year because she's ageing. I love <laughs> the other book
2: that I loved just to get us back on serious track so, um, is a book called it's a book of poetry who would have thought that would have been one of my favourite books of the year The Taste of River
1: Water by Cats Kate and Kennedy Dogs Living Together you've read you've read a book of poetry and you would not stop reading it aloud to me which seems like a sort of first year university <laughs> seduction technique I <laughs> <laughs> which I have fallen for in the past so like
2: don't flatter yourself love um It was given to me by Kate Kennedy, the writer, and I did wonder if she maybe had heard the podcast and heard me say I don't like poetry because she presented me with her book and said, I brought this specifically to give to you. And I, of course, thought, oh, God, poetry. Uh, Took it away, started reading it, and it was... Absolutely blown away. It was, it made me cry, it made me laugh, it was an incredible piece of writing to the degree that I just immediately went online and bought every other book of Kate Kennedy's that I could find. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. Best non-fiction.
1: Yeah, well, see, here's where I'm in, like, serious strife because I've got about ten things uh, written down. I just finished reading Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe, also not written this year, but I only just read it, and it is absolutely, I think, for a small book, the book that I've learnt the most from, um, that I've read, you know, in the last few years, it is Bruce Pascoe is a writer who very patiently and um, uh, at with great detail, um, records the observations of the European settlers in Australia of um, the indigenous people that they encountered and using contemporaneous accounts of the day debunks the idea that um, uh, the indigenous people of Australia were without... um, sophisticated agricultural engineering linguistic navigational techniques it's an incredible book and I um felt very sorry that I hadn't known all of this stuff earlier in, as a part of my formal education um, and I hope that that is something that changes um, I was obsessed with bad blood by John Carreru which is the story of the Theranos um, blood testing startup run by a woman called Elizabeth Holmes. I just love a great scam story where somebody pulls off an outrageous jip of particularly of very wealthy people, and that happened. Uh, she just absolutely tricked them all, uh, and the book is the story of her messy end. Also very satisfying. Um, <laughs> I read um, Beruz Bouchani's book, No Friend But the Mountains, which is an incredibly beautifully written account of his experience of getting on a boat in Indonesia, sailing to Australia and winding up um, in detention on Manus Island. And it is, I can't believe that someone who's writing in a second language and filing a book by text message, essentially, uh, from detention is capable of creating a work of such enduring beauty it is a beautiful upsetting lyrical observant book that is um deeply human sorry now I'm cheating because I'm just re- I know yeah, you're I to see your what you're, I know you're looking at me in that way but I just I'm sorry this is uh, this is as short as I could get the list <laughs> I'm, I'm you know that I'm obsessed with dope sick by Beth Macy which is account yep. of the opioid crisis in America I'll just leave it at that but it's like mind-blowing but I think that my favorite book non-fiction of the year and I we can't nominate each other's books otherwise I really like <laughs> I just I feel like the fonds in that episode where he had to say sorry and he's like <laughs> I've been traveling around Australia defacing volumes of your book with such <laughs> unkind words yesterday I compared uh, our books and said at least mine's got crab and nasturtium brioche sandwiches in it, whereas she just caterwauls on about her uterus in her book. But um, your book is uh, an extraordinary piece of work, and it has been bought by so many people in such a short time, and all I hear is how moving and helpful and influential that book has been in their lives. Frankly, I'm absolutely tired of it, but I'm not going to... (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Your book is awesome.
3: (laughs) Uh, Wow. Thank you.
1: Really. You'll read it. You'll love it. You won't feel very original because everybody else loves it too. But, yeah, well done. Um, However, my pick of the year is going to be um, a very original book um, by a woman called Sarah Krasnostein called The Trauma Cleaner. Oh, that's your
3: pick of the year. Yeah, it is,
1: actually. Okay. Yeah, Um, It is... Uh, an utterly original portrait of a living person whose life is, I mean, this is a woman whose job it is, her name is Sandra Pankhurst, her job is to clean up houses that other cleaners won't touch because there's been a murder in there or someone has died there four years ago and not been discovered or um, hoarders or people with like severe mental illness and she goes in there and just snaps on the marigolds and wades through these broken lives. And the way that Sarah writes about Sandra um, is generous and cautious, but also full of admiration as she tells the story of Sandra's own life, which is just more complicated and um, twisting and narratively... um, turning than you could possibly imagine and it's just an entrancing book and I loved it.
2: And I didn't mean to make it sound like I was shocked that that was your pick of the year. The only thing that um, I'm shocked by is because I haven't heard you talk about that and I know how much you've loved some of those other books so I didn't realise how much you loved um, The Trauma Cleaner. Well I'm now feeling incredibly shallow because I want to say No Spin by Shane (laughs) (laughs) Warren.
1: Oh I forgot one as well like Anne Summers's book which is like yeah, great it's as well. It's such a long book and I was like, when I started out reading it, I thought, oh, this is a long book. It was like a racy, incredible read. Sorry, I'm just, now I'm stomping all, about, all over I'm your just... turf when you're about to, <laughs> you know, employ your renowned cricket wisdom <laughs> and uh, tell us all about Shane Look, Warne.
2: I've gone on so much about the morning book, I'm not going to go on about it, but I did, I loved it because it fulfilled all the criteria that we love in a memoir, which is the person seems to not care what anybody reading might think of them it's unvarnished the title no spin i thought it really did capture um what the book was like i mean it was just gobsmacking the content and it's so i loved
1: you're pretty it. pleased when you thought of that title like it's such a good oh, title. It's a great title it's like andre agassi's um memoir which is called open
3: yeah so good so just good be like I You'd agree to so write the book
1: just as I thought of that title. You'd be so pleased with yourself. I'm,
2: I also really enjoyed Sapiens, which has been close to the top of the bestseller list forever, um, just because it was the kind of book that you constantly turned to your companion and went, oh, my God, did you know blah, 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 blah. Just every page was full of that kind of thing. Um, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I thought, mm, nonfiction. we didn't say necessarily non-fiction books, so I'm going to take that to include documentaries because I absolutely <laughs> loved
1: wow, this has really jumped the tracks. I, didn't, I, mean.
2: I absolutely loved um, a documentary that I watched on iView just after I read the Museum of Modern Love, which was called Marina Abramovich, The Artist is Present. Um, it was awesome. And the thing was that I, I did find that Marina Abramovich piece of art at, at MoMA in New York fascinating because... There's a thing that went really viral where her former lover and artistic collaborator, Ule, comes and sits opposite her and she looks up and the emotion that goes across both of their faces is just, like, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. It's unbelievable. Yeah,
1: although I thought it was a big surprise, but he'd been at her house earlier that day. Yeah, like, she so had so already like, seen him. So I'll yeah. see you at two at the museum then, yeah, sure. <laughs> but,
2: yeah, thanks for wrecking it for everybody. But it was... <laughs> it was... That went viral, but I had always watched their art and her art and felt it's not the kind of art that I generally like or I'm into. And I felt like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that that's art. And so I had a quite sceptical mindset going into this documentary. And by the end of it, I thought, yeah, that's art. It's definitely art. Um, and so it completely changed my thinking. And I came out of it with a lot of respect for what she does. And I just found her to be such an interesting character and it added a, lot of, added a lot of depth to having read the novel as well, so I liked that. Um, I'm going to leap in with Best TV. To me, for me, this was absolutely no competition. It was the final season of The Americans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, that show, season after season, except for the second last season, which it was a bit weak, season after season, I just got so much out of it. I thought it was so rich and layered. And the final season, I just was riveted by. And the finale, I felt like, as you do in any great book or television series, I felt like... This is breaking my heart to say goodbye to these characters and I know it's going to be a tragic ending because it has to be and it's killing me. And I was pretty much in tears from, like, the opening shot for the whole time. I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. Uh, but in that sort of way where you're like, I'm a wreck, but it's bizarre because I'm enjoying being a
1: wreck. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. I just think it's the most overwrought I've ever seen you. And, like, I mean... <laughs> We've all read your book. We know you've had a hard couple of years. But, like, <laughs> I just think your incapacity to process what was happening God. to those characters. It was, I thought it was an amazing accomplishment. I loved it. Yeah. But About what you. I loved was then when you were watching this series, you'd keep saying to me, so what do you think's going to happen? And you would, like, unfurl oh. all of these incredible scenarios that you had obviously stayed up late thinking up. And getting worried about even though they hadn't happened. It was, jeez, wow. was oh,
2: full on. Really? What about you, TV?
1: Uh, look, I loved that series as well. And after you nagged me for several years to watch it, and I ended up really liking it. So thank you, I did. Um, but I reckon the thing that I've been most struck by this year, and again, it's because someone I'm close to has been nagging me to watch it for ages, in this case, Jeremy, who eventually just one day just like sat me down and turned it on. Uh, and I started watching, and it's a documentary called Wild Wild Country, which is uh, just this unbelievable account of a um, a, a cult in um, country, just um, it's in a like that settles with a charismatic leader just next to this tiny town called Antelope in just forgettable middle America. And they take over the town, they build this huge cult um, headquarters and you meet the leaders and the charismatic individuals and the followers in this cult. There's such an incredible degree of um, quality, contemporaneous footage from the time. And the, um, the modern footage is so beautifully shot that when I first saw the first few minutes of this doco, I actually like leaned forward in my chair and went, oh! like it was so beautifully shot. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary piece of work, and you can't believe the access, the smoothness of the collection of all of the footage and the storytelling. And oh my gosh, it's um, just—it's unbelievably good. Yeah. I'm going to keep us moving along because I'm worried we're going to run out of time, as always. You're already clock watching. Jeez, so
2: predictable. Best
1: film. Am I allowed to talk about my spider documentary? What was that? one that I wanted to talk about, the Canberra Spider documentary. Oh yeah, sure. I've got two minutes. So the other day on the plane I watched this film called Maratus. It's um, a film, uh, only half an hour long. It's actually on iview at the moment too, um, just in case you're not flying anymore. Um, and it's about this cameraman, Stuart Harris. He's a, you know, head-banging heavy metal fan. Um, likes to take racy pictures of ladies and also likes to go for a walk in the namaji National Park and take pictures of nice things he sees there and one day he takes a picture totally randomly of this tiny blue bright blue spider that he sees sitting on a leaf on a rock and he just snaps it and he uploads it to his Flickr and, and a spider expert called Jürgen Otto, German guy, sees it and he says man that's amazing I think that's a new spider like that's, that's a new thing. So contacts this guy and says, hey, I think you've discovered a spider, dude. And so the two of them develop this unlikely friendship. It's that cool kind of spider that looks like it's doing the village people dance thing. I mean, you will have seen it's the most adorable tiny spider. And so Stuart spends just years trying to find this bloody spider again. And this film is about these two mammothly different men Becoming friends, so like Jurgen is this sort of like socks and sandals wearing German spider dude, and headbanging Stuart Harris who takes racy pictures of ladies and occasionally snaps a spider, and uh, he picks up rubbish for the council in Canberra. It's the most lovely half-hour little doco, and it's made right here, and it's great. So is if it, you haven't seen did it, you it, did it you say it's on, it? on
2: iview? Yeah, it is. Okay, it's okay,
1: on okay. Um iview presents. It's called Maratus. Eventually... I'm
2: not going to tell you what happens,
1: but... um, Look it up.
2: Look it up. Okay, good spider. Best best film. Surprisingly, we often talk about how we don't get to very many films, and I don't know why, but bizarrely this year, I had a bit of a film renaissance, and I was back into watching films. Um, I absolutely loved I, Tonya. Which was a very entertaining and fun night out. Alison Janney, its worth the price of admission just for her. She was just absolutely sensational. Um, I watched *Darkest Hour* because I got into a bit of a Churchill thing. I think after *The Crown*, um, the Gary Gary Oldman is Churchill, and uh, he was extraordinary. And. I find it fascinating when filmmakers are able to create tension about something where you know the outcome, and you're like, I, 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 I know they didn't lose the war here, but I'm really, like, feeling... Like you watching that O.J. Simpson series. Oh, like, God. Yeah, you're watching the car chase, like, oh! Um, I really What's going to happen? I really liked the remake of A Star is Born. It definitely had some flaws, but I thought that it was... Um, more than compensated for by the acting performances of the two leads and just their chemistry that was just mind-blowing and I also massively admired Bradley Cooper for casting somebody as talented and luminous as Lady Gaga because it's so hard to be as you would know with somebody luminous and um (laughs) and so it's a real act of generosity (laughs) When the other person is prepared to be the wind beneath your wings.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I
2: even need to be here. <laughs> but I think it probably wasn't the best film, but it, was, it made me the most happy and I did super enjoy it, which was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Which we were on a flight together and I'd been watching a television drama series called Feud about... Betty Davis and um, Joan Crawford making Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And I'd never seen the film and I was thinking, oh, geez, I reckon my understanding of this would be really helped if I'd seen the film. And then we were on a flight together and I flicked through the Qantas thing and went, oh, my God, it's on here. And I had low expectations because I thought it would be maybe dated. But it actually... Again, a bit like the performances of Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, the two women were so fantastic and there was unexpected humour in it that I hadn't anticipated and it was just a rollicking, just really enjoyable and so I just, I loved it.
1: And I just love the memory of your face when you found that that film was available on that flight because you were all like, oh, you're making lists, you know, adjusting my wardrobe spreadsheet and like, oh, I've got to interview this person, Jesus. Uh. And then your face, it just developed this incredible sunrise. My, that was nice. <laughs> my favourite memory of
2: your face on that flight was when they brought the meals and my meal came with peppy <laughs> pepicea butter and yours had margarine.
1: <laughs> this is the thing right when you have a vegetarian standing order on an air- airline they just assume that you don't want to eat nice food like they're just like well you'll be having like seriously the last time I was on a flight I, got a, I had a pile of quinoa like it was just a pile of quinoa and it had a kind of like a broken in half flatbread perched on top and I was just like but this is, this is you just didn't... depressing food not what and um Always with the margarine, and anyone who has listened to this podcast know that I have a contempt for people who enjoy margarine, such as <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It you need to know this about her. Like, she seems impressive, but generally, she has margarine in her home.
2: <laughs> I've, I've seen as well you at places where, they, where you get a vegetarian meal, and you, you're quite right. Um, and the other week, we had to go to a dinner that neither of us was really looking forward to. And you know how you get upset about things in anticipation and you make them far worse than they're actually going to be? And I was getting enraged on the way they're thinking they're going to forget that she's a vegetarian. She's not even going to get a vegetarian meal. I was just working myself into an absolute frenzy on your behalf
3: over something that I was, over an imagined slight that never actually occurred. That was very weird because I did get a very
1: nice meal. Thank you for worrying, but it was fine. uh, (laughs) Okay, film. Also, I just can't wait for the Australians write-up of this exchange. Uh, ABC Fat Cat has rage attack over something that didn't happen. Uh, involving the entitlements of her overprivileged friend thank you so uh film. What are, what are we favorite, to? Film. favorite film favorite film. film well i tonya yeah i it was Tonya's is my favorite film of the year just because i just i hardly ever get to see a movie because too many jobs and too many children and um, i um, i really 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 enjoyed the anticipation of seeing this film I just thought oh my god I love Alison Janney so much that I'd watch her do anything and I vaguely remembered the whole Tonya Harding thing and I expressly did not google it or I just went in with my half remembered, I just remembered that somebody got their knees broken (laughs) like that's all I recall and uh, I've got it a bit mixed up with the time that somebody stabbed Steffi Graf. on and Monica (laughs) Sellers they're all a bit interchangeable, these elite athletes, aren't they? Like somebody did something There was definitely a small-bladed implement plunged between the shoulder blades of somebody, but I can't remember who. Anyway, so, uh, and I loved every second of it. I loved the parrot that sat on the shoulder pointlessly of Alice and Janie at various points. I loved that, exp- that conversation between Tonya Harding, her new boyfriend, and her mother, played by Alice and Janie, where they talked about whether they were a gardener or a flower. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And how in relationships, listen, and she's like chain-smoking parrot's not on the shoulder in this bit but returns later um she says listen sweetie you're either a gardener or you're a flower you know what I mean and a gardener has got to be with a flower you can't have a flower and a flower uh and then what did she She say
2: she said something like you know I'm a gardener who wants to be a flower how fucked am I
1: (laughs) so good so,
2: okay yeah. favourite thing on the internet I've been dying to get to this one because I loved it so much I know. Um, our friend Murph who always finds the best things she writes our newsletter that we've just started doing that you can subscribe to on our website she always finds the funniest stuff and this was on McSweeney's it was an article called Theatre of Your Mind Presents It's 2.47am uh as a bit of an insomniac it really appealed to me it's 2 47 a.m starring you written by you directed by your subconscious produced by your hippocampus and then it's written like a play I promise I won't read the whole thing but there's just so many funny bits I've got to read a bit of it um it's a character bookworm oh hello you It's 2.47am. I was just wondering where you were. Come, join me by the fire and we'll lie awake considering all of your anxieties. (laughs) What's that? I don't seem all that scary? Oh good, I'm glad to hear it. This isn't a nightmare. No, no, you're half awake. I'm actually an idea for a children's book character you had about 15 years ago. You were going to write a best-selling series of 32 books about me. Of course you never got around to writing even a page, and now your best ideas are gone, as is your ability to work at something for more than a minute before you have to check your phone. (laughs) Go ahead, I'll wait. No new emails? Of course not, it's 2.47am. And also, no one loves you. (laughs) So let's see, what would you like to do first? Let's see, tonight we have worry about mole, deathly melanoma on left knee. (laughs) Replay called Dan Don incident in the mailroom from seven years ago. (laughs) Fret about career. Fret about partner. Oh, so sorry, no need for that one. (laughs) Fret about dying alone. Or did the Americans end up wasting or fulfilling its promise in the end? What's your poison? You hesitantly choose the Americans. Great. Replay called Dan Don incident in the mailroom from seven years ago. Let me just pull that memory up. Here we go. (laughs) And so then they replay the getting the name wrong. Ready for the quiz? Just one question. What should you have done? A. Nothing. He was probably just having a bad day. Surely you were not the first person to ever call him Don. Why can't you just let this go? It's been seven years. Good God. B. Made a Godfather joke. C. Whoops. Sorry. Oh, there's no correct answer. No, you just keep replaying these choices over and over, <laughs> wishing you could go back in time to fix this. Anyway, it goes on like this, and then it gets towards the end. <laughs> it says, bookworm calls in reinforcements. <laughs> the, the alarm. A cheerful and very brightly lit light bulb appears on screen. Screen. Alarm. Oh, so sorry to bother you, but I just wanted to remind you that you have me set for three hours and 11 minutes from now. <laughs> because you have to get to work early for that important meeting. <laughs> Bookworm. But wait, does that mean she'll only get three hours more sleep? off three hours tops. <laughs> and that's if she could even fall back asleep. What, with not having decided what to wear yet? Oh, and the blazer she thinks she might wear is actually at the dry cleaners. Oh, and also, climate change is real.
3: <laughs> anyway...
1: Like that person lives in my head. Now, McSweeney's is a very, very funny website, and we have Murph to thank for uh, constant updates about what's on it. It's, <laughs> oh my gosh. Favorite it's a website? Really I think. Great way to kill some time. Um, so, I, there are a bunch of things that I enjoyed on the interweb this year, interweb, because <laughs> well, I'm 80. Um, <laughs> so, but the thing looking back that just when I was sent it and I opened it up and I started reading it just gave me this sense of exhilarating, spreading joy was Justice Michael Wigney's reasons for dismissing Mark Latham's defence in the (laughs) defamation suit brought against him by Osman Maruki? Faruki. Faruki. God, sorry. I'm. Oh, God, sorry. Um, so it is not very often I mean, I have read judgments before and I have found them gripping and compelling um, but it's not very often that you get to read a judge just having a really fun time. <laughs> and You know, um, Osman's, uh, I think, suit was, I think, contained to about three or four pages. And Mr. Latham submitted a 70-page defense that was just collected from all of the four corners of that man's very interesting brain. Uh, There's a lot of uh, citations, a lot of very random... Uh, pieces of evidence that were reduced and the fun that that judge had taking that apart was just a joy to read (laughs) just think man who has difficult, tedious, not very often entertaining job has just a lovely day out so (laughs) it seems odd but that's what I really that's my pick for internet read of the year
2: now, we're happy to take some questions from the audience. There's microphones at the front here if you want to line up and there's one at the centre at the top. So, if anyone who wants to ask a question, if you make your way there, we'll go into our next topic and then we'll come to you um, next time around. Quick clang of the Uh James Comey, the former FBI director. Loved going to New York to interview him. It was very interesting.
1: Wow. So, in a year when you interviewed Paul McCartney. No, no, you, that was last year. Oh was it? Yeah. Oh right. I was yeah. Thinking, oh I think right? I wouldn't have
2: picked Paul McCartney. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Paul McCartney's the best
3: clang of all time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, you, you can Okay. Yeah. How about you? Um well I'm interviewing Malala tomorrow. That's a that's clangy. But can you
2: say that before you've met them that it's the best clang? No, I guess
1: not. So <laughs> oh, I okay. guess Huh. Okay.
3: Oh, well sorry.
1: Well, I just thought, actually, my, look, this doesn't involve me having a clang, but um, that moment earlier this year when we were recording a podcast and you received a text message from Helen Garner, that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. (laughs) That
2: was pretty awesome. Okay. um, What is, has been, we'll come to you in a second. I see someone up there. What has been your most, single most
1: cooked recipe this year? As you know, I uh, completed a cookbook, so I've done done, uh, lots of things. But um, the thing that I've... Actually, this is so simple, and it is in um, our new cookbook. um, And it is a recipe that I learned um, only earlier this year from my friend Alice Ryan. And the recipe is called Glass Potatoes. And, you know, everyone's got their... Oh, I've got the best roast potato recipe. And up until I met Alice's glass potatoes, I was a sort of a parboiler and then a shaker and then a semolina or um, rice flour if I'm cooking for Murph Um, and then preheating oil in a baking tin and then putting the potatoes in and then putting bongella all over my hands to address the third-degree burn issues. Does everyone know that about bongella? Does everyone know that you can put Bongella on a kitchen burn no. and it makes it stop hurting in about thirty seconds? No, I And it not just know that. never hurts again? Did you know like No. Because it's basically just a local anesthetic and if you I mean I don't know why they put it on the they put it on the tube because it's the greatest Yeah, I mean <laughs> You are welcome, because you know those annoying burns where you accidentally forget that something's hot and you pick it up and you're like, oh, well, now that's me holding a bag of peas for the rest of the night. That's you annoying. Sh-
2: you should have put it on your foot that Bongella. time before you hit the ganglion.
1: Yes, you see, <laughs> I think I could put out a medical handbook, couldn't I? Like how to dispatch a ganglion on one of your <laughs> own joints using a Yotam Ottolenghi book. I used no pee because it seemed more weighty. And then how to do away with burn issues. Yeah, anyway, good. You're welcome. So, um, so then I would, you know, try and roast the potatoes but then try and turn them and then they'd stick and fall apart and worry a bit about that. And just, it's for the birds, isn't it? So Alice's recipe is you get uh, kestrel potatoes. They've got to be kestrel. Don't peel them. Don't do anything weird to them. Just cook them in a pan of boiling water. You need two kilos for this because people will like them and they will eat them. So you need lots and then um, you cook them until they're kind of like the skins are splitting a bit and you could put a knife through them with ease and then you drain them and you put them into a dry baking tin Um, roasting pan basically Um, not a glass one or a um, ceramic one has to be metal and then you get a big spoon and you squish each potato. They have to be sort of like snugly next to each other. Squish each potato so they've got a dent in the top and they might split a bit or something, which is fine. And then you pour, I'm sorry, this is not a slimming recipe and I've never pretended that uh, it is, a cup of oil. Two kilos of potatoes though, but a cup of oil all over the top and then heaps of salt again, sorry. And then into a really hot oven, like about two hundred, and you just you just leave them. You don't do anything to them at all. And then um, and if you are not finished with everything else you can turn it down and you know they'll go for longer, that's fine. They are the most crunchy, the wow. most ridiculous. And on the bottom, they're all they're called glass potatoes because they're translucently Cracklingly, oh. shatteringly crunchy. They are like the greatest chip in the hot chip packet from the fish and chip shop. And yeah, I'll try that because
2: the best potatoes I've ever eaten were made by my friend Brenda Conroy, who's here, which involves parboiling and then you stick them in a Tupperware container with oil and salt, shake it to Ooh. give them a bit of a rough up on the outside. Okay, so. Yeah. Um, the recipe I've made the most quickly, and then we'll go to questions, is one that I think I've texted you twice when I've been out and about to ask you to send it to me, which is in a book called The Cook and the Baker, it's ginger oatie crunch. Yep. It's like an oat slice with a ginger icing on top of it. It's fantastic. And that book, The Cook and the Baker, um, just has so many fantastic... It is a great cookbook, The yeah, Cook and Baker. Baker. Yeah. Awesome highbrow rocky road. Okay, hello,
4: up the top. Hi, um, I'm Lisa. I'm originally from Newcastle, but I've moved to Canberra recently. Um, Annabelle, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote an article about the difference between questions that male and female politicians get asked. Um, Do you think it's the onus is on journalists such as yourself to start asking male politicians the same questions that female politicians get, such as how will you care for children and be Prime Minister?
3: Uh, Yes, I do. Um,
1: So, years and years ago, I used to get really annoyed when I'd see female business leaders get asked, you know, like, someone would be running some enormous company, and because they also had three children, like, the first question would be, how do you juggle it all? I mean, how do you manage your work and family in this way? Because I just think, oh, my God, like, ask her about her job, for God's sake. And actually, I've stopped being that angry about that because I actually think that is a reasonable question to ask. What I do get angry about is when nobody asks men in the same position the same way because they assume, usually correctly, that they have a spouse who is fully committed to looking after things at home or whatever in a way that women um, in the corporate world or political world um, have to a much lesser degree than men. And so I am very, very keen that... Um, rather than getting annoyed when women are asking that question we get annoyed when men aren't asked it and it was actually when the, um, the events of earlier this year happened with the, uh, you know, with the um, enforcement of Australia's uh, robust prime ministerial recycling scheme um, <laughs> occurred um, and when Scott Morrison became the prime minister and Josh Frydenberg the treasurer I thought that's interesting, I reckon that's the first time that I can remember that you've had two people in the position of Prime Minister and Treasurer, who've both got little kids, like primary school age kids, and I've kind of then dug around and worked out that it hasn't happened, that hasn't happened since um, Malcolm Fraser appointed John Howard to be his Treasurer when both of them had um, uh, children, young children and I thought, God, when are they going to be asked, how are you going to juggle all this? And they weren't. They weren't asked for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then I thought, well, bugger it. Well, I'll ask. So I asked them. And it was really interesting because I think when you ask um, professional women that question, they've got, like, their answers on a bloody, you know, um, laminated card in their purse. They're like, well, so here's how it works. On Mondays, this is what am and then, and then on my, my mother turns up on this day, and then like, and then, but like, the guys are all just kind of like, well, you know, my wife's amazing, and you're like, yes. <laughs> You know, what I want to know is the guts of it. Like, you know, who does the dentists? Who does the school pickups? Who does the whatever? Yeah. Or it was
2: more like, oh, well, I make sure that I allocate Friday night or Saturday night or whatever for family time. Whereas a woman knows what you're asking is who's signing the notes for school? Who's, you know, it's a different sort of thing that you're thinking of. Okay, over here. Hello, love you both, love your work. Um, because your friendship is such a galvanising part of this podcast and this group, I would really like to know how your friendship came
4: about and what your first
2: impressions of each other were. <laughs> well, I mean, my first impressions of you were not from meeting you because you had a profile and so I read your work in the paper, of course, and so I thought that you were clever and she funny. Just, um,
1: was stalking me a bit, but... <laughs> Uh,
2: So I sort of knew you by reputation and thought you were clever and funny and then you cold-called me because she was coming to work at the ABC and she wanted to know what's it like and where should I sit and we knew lots of people the same and so um, she sort of said, yeah, we sort of seems weird that we haven't met because we know a lot of the same people and then, um,
1: yeah, it went from there. And you said, come and sit next to me. And I did.
3: (laughs) Yes,
1: But it's funny, it's interesting, when we first started doing this podcast, actually, um, I, I mean, one of the things that I liked about Lee was, I, she used to write this column, I don't know how you were allowed to do it, actually, it was for a news-limited publication, wasn't it? It was um, called The Punch, yeah, and it, yeah. um, edited by a mutual friend of ours, yeah. David Pemberthy, and yeah. um, so she wrote this little column called Well Redhead, get it? And um, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. and it was this list of 10 things that Lee Sales had read or watched or encountered or interacted with that week. And I actually just really always read it because there was always something there that I had not seen before and just was really interested in. And that is, I mean, it's one of the things I really like about Twitter is that you get links mm. to things that you wouldn't have found yourself. You also get a lot of... Um, free character advice about what a complete fuzzy-haired idiot you are. But, like, you know, I stay for the links. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, so I knew that you were an interesting person to kind of talk to because I could see what you were reading and, like, I just thought, well oh, we've got the same taste in lots of things um, and then radically different in others, obviously. But um, <laughs> But it's still something that I do really... I do enjoy about talking to you, you've always got, like I never leave a conversation with you without having a little list of notes about things that I should, you know, that I would enjoy reading and that's a really valuable thing I think and although in the first instance you know we sort of thought that our podcast would be a bit would be a bit of a reading list sort of thing, the funny thing that we misunderstood about it I think that has become clear from people who listen to it is that it is a bit more maybe about friendship than we thought it was
3: yeah I think so question hello everyone um, first of all I just wanted to say for listeners of the podcast not only are the ladies tonight really funny and insightful they have brought their a-game on the frock front they look amazing <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you post a picture somewhere So I have a two-part question. Firstly, um, do you think Annabelle looks strikingly similar to Rizzo from Greece in the big dance scene today? (laughs) To Rizzo from Greece,
2: just tonight or generally? No, just in this particular frock. Okay.
3: And secondly, Annabelle, where did you get your fabulous shoes?
1: (laughs) Well, these are my. This is my second outing in these shoes on this stage. I got them from the Marks and Spencer website, like a like a year and a half ago for about 20 bucks they are awesome shoes they're stupid of course um i could never escape from a robbery or anything in them but um for a short for a for a night out where you're mainly going to be sitting down they're awesome and i bought my Rizzo frock from an op shop in annandale many years ago because i just went in and tried it on i just thought this is a stupid dress but i love it and um you and probably would slot
2: into the prom scene in Greece pretty well. Sure, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm, no uh, I'm all over it. She'd be I up just, for that. Yeah. Somebody put on a production next Christmas. Rizzo, Sandra oh, D. Oh, God.
3: Why? <laughs> and,
2: and, what? Um, like? And Chris Yulman can make a special guest appearance in the John Travolta role. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tell Yulman, Brad is giving a call. <laughs> Chris Hi. Um, For context, I'm about to have my first baby um, at the end of January, and while I'm oscillating between denial and catastrophizing about labour, my midwife says, oh yeah, bring something that you want to listen to, and I'm not holding my breath that you guys will have another episode out (laughs) by the end of January, but... I'm sure you've got other recommendations, of when's, things I could listen to. When's no. your due date? Um, 30th of January. Oh, OK.
1: Well, we'll bang another couple out in that time, probably. <laughs> so right. I don't know. Other but than maybe. this
3: episode, because I've been here for this. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> well. All right then. Quite demanding. I've been listening. I've been
1: listening to this um, British podcast called The High Low, um, which Mate, is. Sorry, can I just stop you there? Because I'm
2: going to just reject the premise of the question. Because, I mean, what is your midwife smoking that she thinks like that? You are going to be wanting to listen. You know, I've had two children. No. <laughs> no. You're just going to be squeezing that baby out, or having it cut out. One or the other. And it doesn't matter which, just get it out.
1: You gave me a good piece of advice um, when I had my third baby, which was... Because I think, you know, iPads were invented somewhere during my reproductive pattern. Like, I mean, they definitely weren't around when I had my first kid. And I went through that really unwise thing where I had a baby every election year for nearly a decade. It was, like, so stupid. If you have a look at my, like clips of my television appearances, I'm just like, pregnant, not pregnant, pregnant, not pregnant, pregnant, not pregnant. She's <laughs> like, wow, what's going on? This woman's like one of those frogs that, like, breeds children in its cheeks or something like that. <laughs> That's not going anywhere. Um, but one thing that you did when I um, had Kate um, was that you brought around your music stand for me. Yes. And I just just like, I do know, thanks. But it was super handy um, because... You just put a um, an e-reader or um, device, which at the ABC we can't name, as an iPad, um, on your music stand, and so because one of the things that you are soon unhappily learn is that if you are uh, nourishing your child in the way that nature designed, you will only have one hand for a while. Like there's just there's, there will not be many moments where you have two hands. So like if you can do things with a Thing that's being like you can't read a magazine or a novel while you're breastfeeding, for instance. But the music stand, and I'm sure sales would lend hers to you because, <laughs> you know, fling, fling, fling. <laughs> super useful. Also, have enough food in the freezer or have a plan for food to be there because yes. you're gonna be super hungry and you'll be so angry if the food isn't nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: now um before we hand back to brian i wanted why don't we wrap it up with just a couple of things looking forward to next year um if you could pick one piece of culture that you've consumed that you've really loved and you just wish the other person would read it next year or watch it or do whatever what would it be
1: david attenborough's life of small birds (laughs) is there even such a thing Either that or the movie version of Nicholas Nickleby.
2: (laughs) For you, I'm picking the television series Please Like Me because I've asked you and asked you and asked you.
1: God. I know. How many times? What about when that, um, that episode went to air that you couldn't even talk about without bursting into tears? I've never seen you so out of control affected by something you, you couldn't even tell me even what now it was. when I think about it I can
2: tear up in about 10 seconds it was so moving it was it was I loved that series it was absolutely fantastic and I've can you just please watch it
3: I've right. asked you so nicely I've held out for
2: longer <laughs> you did for the Americans and then you were happy that you I finally know. watched it um, sometimes you are right okay last question what is
1: the word you would like to use more in 2019? Oh, we get to because this was my suggestion for a question, and normally my suggestions don't make it.
3: Uh, but like, <laughs> oh God, you're so. So full of it. the
1: word that I would like to use, I made this decision whilst we were driving here today. Um, is uh, in 2019, I'm going to use the word persiflage. Oh. What does persiflage that mean? is a word of French origin, and it means to engage in mocking banter. <laughs> and I feel that persiflage is a quite good. Is it like?
2: Do you? Does one persiflage? One, one engages game, in persiflage. Oh, okay. So what's I the verb? I don't think i would be persiflagging you. <laughs> like,
1: I don't think it's that sort of. It's not a verb.
2: What about an adverb? She spoke to me persiflagingly. <laughs> I want to use prong because I heard (laughs) because I've heard you use it so contemptuously like look at this prong (laughs) and it's so good I don't even really know why you know prong is used in that context but I just know that I really like it
1: I think I got it from a Martin Amos novel or essay where he just dismissed somebody as this prong look at this prong I love it. It's a great... I assume it's a penis thing, is it? Like, I mean, it's, sort of, it's, it's a bit of a dick thing, I assume. Oh, is it? I mean, oh. Well, it almost always is with Martin Amis. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but um, you called me a prong yesterday. Yeah, I'm trying to get it out
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just testing it out to see how it goes.
1: <laughs> All right, well, shall we hand back to Brian and let him seize control of the evening once again? I would just be keen to hear about Brian's uh, views about our Randy project. I mean, yeah. They, let us know, Brian. What you yeah, think? I think it's. Yeah, I think okay. we've been really helpful. So, you know. Hey, thank you, everybody. Um, it's been a pleasure to hang out with you, and thank you for your patience <laughs> for the, for the persiflage. Thank you.
0: Well, uh, Annabelle and Lee, I will keep it short because one would not want to uh, diminish from what has been once again an amazing uh, evening. With respect to your ideas of Ramsey, I can only say that uh, last year I think I could use the word persiflage and prong, probably describing uh, <clears> the <throat> last year. So I look forward to thinking about how to not use those words dealing with uh, your Ramsey ideas going forward. Uh, I reflect on this evening and, you know, 2018 has been a very polarized year, but what we saw today was something that was not polarizing, indeed it was wide-ranging, it brought in everything one could imagine uh, in a way that almost feels like a family conversation, where everyone feels part of it. It's obviously bringing people together Uh, We saw, I think, uh, how you do bring people together when people reach out. And I think in 2018, that's something uh, to really celebrate and is certainly what I'm gonna take away. Uh, You will note that me and the 22 other dudes in here will leave (laughs) (coughs) in some sort of bewilderment about what's completely happened, but we're still better for it. Welcome back next year. Thank you for this year. Everyone, one big round of applause for Annabelle and Lisa.